from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 827, Backup and Ransomware, with guest Karen Bassett. Recorded Friday, March 25th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Today, my guest is Karim Bissett, who is a global technologist at Veeam Software, hanging out a lot in the cloud these days, and also pretty focused on the ransomware problem. Welcome to the show, Corinne. Thank you. I am super excited to be here and get started and talk more about this topic. It's actually one of my favorite topics out there is not just ransomware, but uh, the attacks that we face as IT professionals. Well, the last two years, things have gotten way worse. I mean, I remember back when when viruses and tro- trojans and stuff were just propagators. They, you know, they, they had an impact on the system just because they propagated so rapidly, they impaired the ability to function. But this actually extorting money, the committing of a crime, uh, this is a whole new level and a very successful one by all accounts. That's for sure. We've come a long way from the original ransomware being distributed on floppy disk out to research scientists. <laughs> <laughs> way, way back to what we're facing today in the industry. Yeah, and and the use of crypto clearly facilitated moving a heck of a lot more money. Uh, although with some tracing challenges too, like you've got to get the money out of there at some point. So. You know, the good guys are fighting back, but we're still on the firing line as IT folks. That is for sure. Uh, and even coming with paying that ransom, like we want to avoid at all costs. And that's a lot of my job is trying to help people figure out ways to avoid paying the ransom and creating a plan, having the backup, having the separation of privileges in your accounts, please, between your backups and your production infrastructure. Right. So you don't have a pivoting attack getting in there and destroying the data that you do have saved, the data that you paid to save mm-hmm. in those instances already. Well, funny how much air gapping is popu- getting popular again. When I, I've talked to a couple of IT folks. It's like, I was getting really, I hated my backup tapes, but they are the one thing I know for sure the bad guys can't get to. Yeah, so Worm has become a big thing. And actually, Quantum, they have a new technology mm-hmm. where whenever the backup or the process finishes, it ejects the tape just far enough out that you cannot write to it, but you can read the library and you just have to someone go over and physically boop the tape to get it back in there to actually be readable again. So there's a physical air gap that's still being built in technology wise into tape servers. That's really interesting. And it totally makes sense too, because that is literally an air gap to stop being rewritten uh, to, to protect those backups. And physical interaction to get it back online. Um, yeah. My manager does something kind of interesting, too. He has a fire-safe NAS at home, mm-hmm. and he uses a smart plug. The smart plug automatically turns off and on the power entity at certain times for the NAS to even power up for backups to be done to it. And then shuts it back off when the job's finished. Right. So another kind of air gap is the electrons aren't flowing right now. I mean, everything to make it a little harder for the attackers to have a chance. And 
I mean, I've done plenty of shows around stopping the ransom, ransomware attack from ever getting in, and we, we could certainly talk a bit about that. But to me, the backup part is, well, part of it is just recovery. Like, do you know what the restore takes? Can you take? Can you bring that to the matrix of decision-making after a ransomware attack? Yeah, so my big buzzword mm-hmm. is business continuity. Right. And then I have to explain, what does that even mean? Let's talk about it. So the first question you ask when you walk in, what do you need to come up in a, an event of attack to get business up and running? Mm-hmm. That's your business continuity. More often than not, the first answer is everything. Yeah. And then it becomes a bigger conversation. Well, what are you willing to pay? What is your cost vector? And what type of storage do you want? Are you going to have a hot location at all times? Because that's the only way this is probably going to happen for you. Yeah. Well, and you don't actually need everything on the one day. You need pieces of it. But that's a much more complicated conversation about what needs to come up first and at what amount of time, you know, what can we recover? And I've dealt with physical disasters where we literally did have a building burned down. And, you know, first thing was, is there a copy of the DR plan outside of that building? But it was all the little things like, do we know how to get payroll back up in the next few days? Because we do need to pay people. I, I always found the DR work a little morbid, but also very, uh, you know, interesting exercise in all the pieces you need. And in a lot of ways, everyone I've talked to who's been through a ransomware attack, it's just not that different. Like you, you really, you know, that level of uncertainty is extraordinary. I think the only thing that takes that little extra planning is going out and seeing how far it's spread. That's mm-hmm. always that uh, slow turnaround because your first uh, interaction is generally end users being like, something's slow. Something's not quite right here. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, no. And you start going through and individually being like, okay, I need you people out there to give me feedback so I know what you're seeing so I can respond appropriately. And not always does everyone see that email right away, that chat right away. So you might be fighting something that's moving around your network for weeks and not even realize it sure. before you realize the extent of the damage. Well, and, and the and the ransomware has gotten a lot savvier about quietly encrypting in the background and not impacting things. You know, often in the conversations I've had, they've said, we, we saw these unusual behaviors in a network, but it took a while to assemble that into this is an encryption attack underway. You know, it's not always apparent. Yeah. Not like a sign pops out of the server going, encrypting everything. Ticket submitted to help desk. So my computer's making a, a sad smiley face right. and saying it won't boot. I think there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> They're not always that obvious. No, or much less the big red banner that says you're encrypted and here's where you send the, the bitcoins. You know, at the point where they're they're done and ready to talk to you about it. You know, that's kind of you're you're really, really late to the game. So I don't even think it's uh, the industries and the businesses. I have my family trained Mm -hmm. every time my father gets a screen that he doesn't know what it means. I immediately get a phone call. He doesn't press anything. And I've gotten every one of them trained to do that. And most of the time, it's not a problem. But uh, he ran into an antivirus doing a very similar thing. And I was almost like a computer's being held by an antivirus. 
and I won't list the antivirus because I, I don't want to shame them for it necessarily, right. but it was installed by default on their computer of course. and it was saying you're not going to be protected and it popped up like a ransomware screen saying that you need pay in order to stay protected. <laughs> yeah, there's just not a lot of difference. And I'm getting a phone call like, oh no, 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 please don't be the bad thing. So I have to go over and it end up being antivirus, but yeah. But it does, I mean, <laughs> tell me the difference in the extortion, really. We have access to all of your files and pay us or bad things will happen. Yeah. It, uh, it's remarkably similar. I had a weird feeling in my stomach. Like I was hopeful on the drive over. Yeah. I told him not to press anything. Don't shut it down. The, this <laughs> is not a malicious connect. attacker. This is just malicious marketing. Exactly. Uh, spyware <laughs> is still a thing. I yeah. mean, I would have, I like, I get the kind of reasons behind it originally trying to get better application integration for end user experience mm -hmm. but it's gotten out of hand i have to format every laptop before i give it to my family anymore yeah well it's crazy it is interesting you know and this has been an ongoing subject on run as for a while now microsoft keeps trying to come up with versions of windows that are inherently secure and they and and they succeed it's just that no customer wants it because they always have an app that won't comply. And that app they have to have. And so the whole 10X or S or whatever the new code number is for the secure version, they have to turn it off. Because there's some piece of software they have to have. Yep. Uh, I was actually just having a conversation with some of my team this week. And they are talking about, I want XP back. I don't care that it's not secure. <laughs> I just want stuff to work. I miss my XP. <laughs> I know. And I... <laughs> I don't think you do, right? It, I think you 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 have these memories of XP that aren't true. It's almost like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like your memory as a child of Kentucky Fried Chicken is amazing. Have you actually had some lately? It's really not that good. And all you're doing is missing up a childhood memory. And I think that's true of XP too. Yeah. Nostalgia is real it's when real. it comes to electronics. Like, yeah. yes, this. And if you go like a half a generation back, you're like Windows 98. It always worked. Every time I turned it on, it's, it's like really not true. Come on, <laughs> the only one I will agree with Vista. No one, no one has a fond memory yeah, of Vista. It, that's it. <laughs> you can have universal loathing, but not universal love. Apparently, <laughs> that's for sure. Doesn't M three sixty five make our life better for this? I mean, they if you're all in on OneDrive for business and so forth, they're maintaining the backups for you, right? Like you're, you should basically be ransomware proof if you live in that environment i'm just reading the marketing materials corinne you don't have to you know i i can hear the eye roll from here <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna let you get it out before i interrupt you <laughs> but even microsoft in the last uh, couple of years has come out and said no we do not meet the qualifications to be considered a backup they have okay the type of backup Microsoft has for the Microsoft 365 environment mm -hmm. is like you saying, I'm fine if I delete a file from my desktop because it's going to my recycling bin. Right. That is not a backup. It's on the same infrastructure that your primary data is. And we laughed about it back in the data center days. Right. Oh, you're not storing your backup on the same server that your production's running on, right? <laughs> and got to kind of adopt that and learn to adopt that when it comes to cloud infrastructures, that data segmentation, having it on different data entities with different privileged access. 
Yeah. Uh, so yes, they have lit hold. They have uh, in place hold for SharePoint and OneDrive. They have an archival feature for Microsoft Teams instead of actually deleting it. But in no way, shape, or form are those easy ways to get your data back to your production environment in right. a way that makes sense. Like, I've listened to people that had to go through trying to get that data back, and it took them months. Wow. And it wasn't even back the way that they wanted it to yeah. their production environment. And, and, you know, now you get to the reality of all backup strategies, which is it's actually a restore strategy. And we generally don't know what our restore strategy is. In, in past ransomware uh, conversations, we've talked about what would this organization have to do to do a full recovery from backup? Like, how long would it take? What does it even look like? Like, give us a shape of the of the problem. I, I just don't know that I know anyone who really can answer that question right now. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and promote our product, but they do make products out there that mm -hmm. do orchestration of backup. And this orchestration of your backup also has the ability to spin up and test what it would take in order to do a restoration process and do test against it. There's software out there. We've kind of run out of excuses for not running a tabletop anymore. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to plug it for you. You're talking about the recovery orchestrator from Veeam, right? Yes. Yeah. I want to include a link to this because it's just like, listen, somebody spent the time to make a product to address this particular problem. Is this is always a question of timing time for money. You can figure out what your recovery strategy is. It just takes time. Or you can spend some money on it and have a tool that helps you. It won't do everything, but it'll make it easier. So I think it's useful to let people know, like, yeah, these products exist. And that's what that's the job of Disaster Recovery Orchestrator. I think we'll always have that human factor. Mm -hmm. And it's the same conversation we have around AI, frankly. Uh, how do we make AI systems that can recognize when an email is malicious? And... You and I can sit here and be like, we can stare at an email and say, you know, I have this feeling yeah. <laughs> that this is spam. Like, you got to figure out how to translate these feelings that this is working properly into an algorithm. And there are just certain things that you have to get those stakeholders involved. And that's the next buzzword I like to throw out there. Stakeholder. Is who are your stakeholders? Yeah. Who's in charge of this application? You're the backup administration. You are the C-level executive, C-level technical executive even. Mm -hmm. Get your application administrator on the line, have them sit down with you and test it out whenever you're running these plans. Otherwise, you can be like, it booted up, but I can't run the script to see if something's actually transacting, but it booted up. We're, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> the lights are blinking. Blinky lights are good, right? <laughs> it pinged port uh, 53, so it's getting communication to the network. <laughs> That's not the question we needed answered, right? We, we actually want, you know, what's running, what isn't. Uh, any, uh, I just wonder how many folks have gone to the effort to really get their, their disaster recovery strategies to that point where you can come to that sand table saying, this is how long a, a, a bare metal recover looks like, like we got to wipe everything and build it back up. Yes, we can get there. Here's how long it takes. So at least it's a factor in the conversation. And if you are not the technical person sitting there thinking, uh, I can run this myself. You should be asking your IT infrastructure to give you this data. They should have some type of sheet they can hand over to say, we've tested this and this is how long it takes to uh, migrate over. Maybe you figure out something yeah. such as deduplicating storage. If you're storing your backups to deduplication, 
you're going to have to go through a rehydration process yeah. in order to get that data back to your production environment. Yes, it's fast getting there on a landing zone. Yeah. It might not be. The price of recovery is even higher. And so suddenly the it's spending the additional money to not save the space that deduplication does because it shortens your recovery time. Now, you know, you've just changed your math there. Yeah. Landing zones have been amazing with deduplication devices. I do have to say that out there. And there's been some metadata that they've been kind of working with, but there's always going to be that slight cost of resources. Can this run on a lower infrastructure server? Right. Can this function this way? What if my domain controller loses its life and there is no resuscitation here? How do I get back my machines what if they don't recognize a different uuid and i have no backup mm -hmm. who authenticates where do we yeah. authenticate to well you know yeah you're talking about that bare metal recovery it's like the first authentication entity right Can, you know ever tried to build an, an active directory infrastructure from scratch like getting that first instance up and starting to build some identities into it much less now i want to restore stuff into it it's you know, AD's grumpy when everything's working. You should try when stuff isn't working. You can try as much as you want. Also working with the UUIDs, like yeah. the IDs on the background, there is no getting that part back. And right. things are not going to map properly. I've just, I've gone through so many domain controller failures uh, because even when you're restoring a domain controller, you have to get it into that authoritative zone in order to even think about replicating it. Or right. it's your only one in your infrastructure and you're like, okay, we solved this problem back, what, 2012 R2? You yeah. should be at least replicating these domain controllers and having additional domain controllers in your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, maybe having a live one. So you're not recovering anything. You are simply building a new one and saying, now go pick up a copies of everything. Yeah. I think it's a very powerful way to think about the problem is just to acknowledge the fact that you're not going back to an old state. You're building a new state that does the same things. It's a very good way to put it. And actually, those are terms translate pretty seamlessly to cloud. So IaaS, your PaaS, right. and all of the other ASs that you want to throw in there, the software <laughs> as a service, they still run on these back-end universal IDs that allow them to communicate back and forth with each other. And it's even more integrated. Since right. you're giving up some of that underlying control of infrastructure, they solely rely on those IDs in order to continue the communication when restoration happens. You can't rebuild it. Yeah. If you rebuild it, you're rebuilding everything. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think that's even realistic. You're building a new thing that has copies of uh, enough of the old thing to do the things you want. And Karina, I got to interrupt for one moment with this very important message. Your users are working remotely and the bad guys know it. New phishing attacks are already landing in the inboxes of your users. Are those computers as protected as they would be if they were on premises? If the machine catches ransomware is restoring for backup, really the answer? Don't be the IT admin who could have done something to prevent the problem, but didn't. Block the badness and prevent business continuity problems at the source by using Policy Pack on your hybrid Windows machines. With Netrix Policy Pack, you get the power to manage applications and browsers on Windows 10 and 11, overcome UAC prompts, block unknownware, dynamically configure the Windows start screen, taskbar, and file associations. As a bonus, you can use Netrix Policy Pack to deliver any real on-premises group policy and group policy preferences settings to your remote work machines for the security and configuration they need. Learn how thousands of admins enhance their work and remote scenarios. Come to policypack.com to try a free trial. That's policypack.com. 
NetRix Policy Pack, powerful data security made easy. And we're back. It's Ron As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Karim Bissett. We're talking a bit about the fun that is disaster recovery, specifically in the ransomware scenario. Because I think part of the challenge here is it's it would almost be easier if the data center just burned down and you're rebuilding everything, as opposed to what machines are corrupted, what aren't, what data is missing, like, and can I get my infrastructure back to a state where we're confident in it again? Like, it has now attacked us. It has done damage. Have we really crushed all of the malware? As opposed to if we, you know, that maybe maybe it's also a delusional belief. It's like, if we wipe everything, then the malware will be gone. And now we can rebuild. Like, I don't know that any of those things are true. So you bring up a point that I hear a lot. And the term here for highlighting it is zero day. Right. So the day that we discover something's hit our infrastructure and that it's been discovered as a problem isn't necessarily the day that it infiltrated your infrastructure. So you may be going back to certain points in time, uh, certain days that you thought everything was proper, but you're reintroducing the same problems back into your infrastructure. And you're right. If you burn down, you know, okay, yesterday's good, but time bombs are a thing. We've, gotten so sophisticated in ransomware you don't know right you you just don't and even if you keep scanning there could be something else that hasn't been caught as a signature Mm -hmm. uh even in the last couple of months we've seen this high influx of ransomware and malware being introduced that is built from scratch there is no defining code that's come off of one of the previous renditions. So it's not like WannaCry or anything else out right. there. It is brand new. How do you fight that? Do, it, How do you it, detect that? This is where you get into purely behavioral detection, that the process of encrypting files is an unusual process. It's not what a normal most normal processes will do, except for antivirus software. You know, picking up every file and looking at it. That's what any virus software does. It's also what ransomware does. <laughs> so there's also a new kind of ransomware. Have you heard of uh, Robinhood ransomware? Robinhood ransomware. Okay. No. What's that? So Robinhood ransomware is actually centered around the exfiltration of your data mm-hmm. over time, then holding it as ransom to then sell it off to third parties. Right. So we're... Get, they're getting smarter. It's scary that you can't just think about the behavior of encrypting data, but all of these other factors that go into it. So it's just exfiltrating the data. Yeah. So then, the, and as long as that outbound stream looks like the normal outbound streams of the organization, nobody's going to notice. Except you know, it is still is weird. Why is a copy of everything leaving the office? Like, but that's where you know straight up data integrity stuff, but. Now, I, I appreciate the idea of, yeah, we're not going to bother encrypt. All we're going to do is leak information. And we, we I did a show a while back with Sammy Leho, that the Vastamo exploit, where they were, uh, that was uh, therapy documents. So they had breached this medical facility that does mental health therapies and then tried to ransom the office as a whole. And they resisted. And so they now took the data and ransomed the individuals whose data they had. It's just about the most horrible thing I've ever heard. And just to make it even more interesting, I'm sure you know, you've heard of Sammy Leo's is a security guy. His data was in the attack, too. They tried to ransom him. So it's like the, you know, the defender and also a victim. But uh, 
it is an interesting angle on this. Like, I don't need to encrypt. It's just, is your data sensitive that leaking is a big deal? We have this conversation a lot with schools. Mm -hmm. So schools, if they have an exfiltration of data, they have a problem with their students' accounts and identities that they're not going to be registering for credit cards. They're not going to get credit reports probably for, what, 15 years in some cases, depending on how young they get their data from these uh, children. And they're just worth so much. School district, like, we don't have that much money. We don't, we do fundraisers. Well, your kids and all of your data for your children in the school are worth millions. Right. To an attacker, to an entity. And if they can get in and encrypt, there's a high likelihood they can also exfiltrate that type of data. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also see mixtures of those attacks. They take they take copies of everything. So even if they can't play the encrypt game, they have that effect of the uh, impact as well. I'm also seeing vandalism, like just destroying data. So it's like there is no backups. Uh, there, there, there is no encryption. There's no ransom. We're just destroying your data. Yep. The uh, hacktivism has been a really big topic, especially this last uh, little bit with everything that's going on and the turmoil in the world. Mm-hmm. But they logged in and they didn't just encrypt it. They just destroyed it. They're building ransomware software without the ransom part. Right. <laughs> They're destroying reputation, and that is something that does get overlooked is reputation matters. Yeah, Your ability to hold on to someone's data, protect it, and be able to provide it when requested uh, can destroy your brand. Yeah. No, it's it's very interesting. I mean, it's, and by all that token, like, we, there is no solution to the vandalism than protected backups. Like, what else is there? I don't I don't see any other choice. Like if you don't have a, a restorable backup, there is no other copy. They destroyed it. So Yep. At the same time, uh, it's like, do you know how they got in? Because they're gonna destroy it again. I think we wanna also loop in the fact that there's two kinds of people out there. There's someone that has gone through this type of attack and realized the brutal reality. Mm-hmm. And those that probably just haven't realized they're infected in some way at yeah. this time. It's just, it's a very real, uh, definitely during the pandemic years, we saw just a huge jump. People had to make money. They found ways to make money and it's just a profitable business. It was a $6 trillion business last year for cyber attacks. Mm-hmm. Like they actually got paid in cryptocurrency or whatever way that they were giving Six trillion dollars were reported paid. Yeah, I don't imagine they paid taxes on any of that either. I guess the, the real question is, well, obviously it was a lots of different entities, and most of them quite small. Uh, we we did have some conversations about the big ones being fought back against, but the bottom line is, as long as this is profitable, it's going to keep happening. I think we can say that almost about everything yeah. out there, but definitely in the cyber world, cyber is not getting uh, smaller; it's getting bigger. Uh, petabytes of data now we don't talk about i thought way back terabytes were that incredible thing it's like i have a whole terabyte at home (laughs) (laughs) we got petabytes and larger now exabytes yeah and i just trying to imagine the amount of information and data that we're producing and taking those aspects for backup even uh how do we protect exabytes of data how do we do it efficiently? Do we pay for another exabyte per exabyte? Uh, do we put it on the deduplication storage and take the hit for restoration? Yeah. And the multiple copies? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, well, Microsoft keeps telling me they have three copies of my data everywhere. I'm very excited about that, as long as I can restore it. <laughs> so the copies of their data are actually replications of your data across right. different data servers. And the cool thing about these replications is they're instantaneous replications of real-time data transfer. So if you do have a problem or you delete a file, it's automatically deleted from these other data entities. Sure. Which also means if ransomware hits that, it's replicating to all these other data entities. Right. There is no rolling that back across those servers. So, yeah, no, we have three copies of your encrypted data. Yes. Here you go. Right. I, I still I think there's not a, a non-trivial number of people who are hoping for this will eventually just be an anti, there'll be an anti ransomware service. That the, that the smart folks at the cloud providers are going to solve this for us. So I don't know if you've heard of Sentinel. Sentinel has taken a huge stand on detection and anomaly detection mm -hmm. by having separate uh, data entity like aggregators or connectors. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just reach out to the Microsoft environment. It'll pull in AWS. It'll pull down on on-premises infrastructures. It'll pull down other cloud entities, applications. And what it does is it takes all of this data and these individual acts that happen across your infrastructure in the cloud, they may go, okay, these are not a problem. This is day-to-day -day inspection within like uh, bounds. But Sentinel can take a look from the outside and say, these three actions happened and we've had a hundred other people that had these same three actions happen and detected the anomaly as being malicious. Right. It's incredible what we're being able to do with some AI out there across platforms. And so and you got to pay for the product, right? Azure, Microsoft Sentinel is not free, but it's not. But it you is pay that, more for storage. Yeah, that is it is sure. that sense of oversight that it's got that broad view, you know, with with all the technology to, to sort of be responsive. Although now it's just detection, hopefully early detection. It does have run books and playbooks that you also can implement. Okay. You could have automated processes happen with Sentinel. Microsoft has some free built-in ones as well with their workspaces and playbooks. Uh, if you want to look on that side, Sentinel has just been kind of becoming the top of the field. It's detected when we had, uh, I think it was two and a half years ago, a Chinese attack on the government. Mm -hmm. Sentinel detected, uh, so there's Chinese characters in this code, and we're not sure these should be here. Is this a problem? Right. And I got to listen to a talk from the guy that actually pointed this out. He was a contractor for the U.S. government. He's like, so we detected this thing through Sentinel, and is this a, a problem? And apparently the guy said nothing, walked out of the room, and the network got shut down. <laughs> <laughs> he went to deal with the problem. He's not going to spend time <laughs> explaining stuff to you while he's doing it. Just going just gonna to end things without a doubt. But who would have thought? Just this normal line of code that was doing something completely functional just happened to be in Chinese. Yeah, just had the wrong symbology. That's like that's unusual. It's a, yeah. it's a great and, and a really interesting thing to pick up on. I, I wonder if that was a machine learn tactic and not a directly coded uh, tactic that the machine learning noticed that one of the signatures of an unusual attack are these weird character sets. Be an interesting breakdown, uh, especially on the forensic side. Yeah, without a doubt. Hey, what's your position on ransomware insurance? Because it seems like with the up, uptick in, in ransomware, I think the insurance companies have gotten a lot more anxious, like the prices have gone through the roof. 
Yeah, so it's also that starting price. If you ever experience ransomware while having a ransomware insurance, you'll find out the true cost of ransomware insurance, especially if they do pay out. Um, But we're finding more and more, they're just straight not paying because they'll find something. You sign this contract that is lines and lines and lines of your personal responsibility in a ransomware or someone attacking your system. And if you can't prove that you've done these 250 steps and locked down these 250 entry points, done these 250 processes, we're not going to pay out and we're going to pay an independent contractor to come in check out the infrastructure, make sure these didn't happen before we reimburse you. So insurance doesn't pay at the start with. They have the insurance, you pay the ransom, and then they have someone come investigate, make sure you didn't do wrong before they pay you. Right. So it's become kind of a almost mafia-esque kind of loan shark situation. Yeah, it's, you, you don't want to count on the ransomware insurance, I, it seems. And certainly it was a talking point last year saying if the CFO is signing the, the agreement for ransom uh, ransomware insurance and you haven't read it, you're probably not compliant. You're almost certainly not compliant. That is definitely, you want to, again, have the proper stakeholders in the room with you before you sign that type of documentation. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a ransomware in the last couple of years that also has not included backups. You have to have segmented permissioned backups in your infrastructure in order to be compliant with the ransomware insurance, which if you're paying the ransomware insurance and you're keeping already those separate privileged domain backups of your infrastructure, you're probably going to end up paying less for that extra infrastructure and that separation of privileges than insurance most of the time. It just... It seems like a, I hate to say it, a C-level solution to a technical problem. Right. And if so, the effort you're going to need to be compliant with the insurance is probably sufficient to stop the ransomware attack in the first place or be able to recover from it. I mean... And in the event that it's a level of an attack where even all of those efforts aren't sufficient, it might be declared an act of God or, you know, or a force majeure and the insurance also doesn't apply. You can begin to wonder if the insurance makes any sense. I have this house insurance that if a limb falls on my house during a storm, they're going to replace my roof. Right. Well, if every time a limb fell on my roof, they came out and had a tree specialist come in and say, hey, this tree should have been trimmed back. This reason, that reason, or whatever, we're not going to pay you. What's the point of having the insurance? Right. If it's not going to be there when you when you need it, or you have to lawyer up to use it. Exactly, because that's additional cost, that's time. And again, if you read the fine print of a lot of these insurance contracts, you still have to come up with those funds up front. Right. You have to figure out business they to reim- get that They money reimburse, there. not the, uh, not yeah. the, they don't pay out. Although negotiating with ransomware folks is its own particular skill, and often these packages do include that service. Uh, but again, you've got to, you've got to, this is not a trivial thing to get involved in a policy like that. You do need to be organized enough to have all the stakeholders in the room and to understand, you know, what it will take to actually act on that and whether or not those folks are going to be part of the solution. So I've seen some incredible kind of conversation around this to the point where even medical shows, because I I'm a huge fan of medical shows. Oh no. <laughs> they have started highlighting the IT side. I think every single medical show I watch now has 
demonstrated how destructive and impactful a ransomware attack is because they'd like to show what's the problem with the time and ransomware doesn't care what you're doing they just want their money and right. the and negotiation has actually shown some of this or how to try to revert servers or what's our plan uh where's the binder uh we don't have a binder what do you mean we don't have a binder <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the idea that ransomware is po penetrating popular culture and showing up on television just shows how large it actually is. It's not just the realm of us geeky folk. It is, you know, showing up in the gestalt and is and is now considered high drama. Exactly. Yeah, th there are some drama to it, but that drama is real. Yeah. That and the ability to sleep after. Yeah, uh, much less during. So how did you feel like when Log4 came out? So did you, oh, were you think, one of those people that... <laughs> absolute existential dread because it's in absolutely everything? Yeah. Yeah, waking up in the middle of the night like, is my smart toaster going to catch the house on fire tonight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, are the things that can't be patched, like smart light bulbs. Yeah. Uh, they, they, the firmware is just not going to handle it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 those you know, those low-level framework exploits. Well, and we, and we ended up talking extensively about what, what, where do you maintain a list so that you know where Log4j exists in your organization? Like the, those copies of manifests for applications that reach interesting problem. Uh, you know, Corinne, we could do this all day. I suspect <laughs> create more existential <laughs> dread because I haven't had enough lately. It's like a lot pandemic. That's nothing, uh, but. Yeah, I really appreciate your your insight on all this. It's a, it's a, definitely a challenging time. It is, and I've been talking with some of the guys from my IT community, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they've been getting asked from their security, like uh, insurance handling people, the people that actually have to talk to them, is we have to meet these certain requirements. Where do you get your list for attacks coming out how do you know what's coming out right and we're just like looking at each other it's like well you follow reddit i follow twitter mm -hmm. <laughs> that's where we're finding it sometimes before the rest of the internet knows where sure. it's at before it even shows up on on your typical commercial site much less government site yeah now fascinating stuff hey corinne thanks again for coming on the show i really appreciate your time i appreciate you reaching out to have me on here it's been a lot of fun a lot of fun and we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. <laughs>